CD4 Brother was counting the flashes of light off the desert. It's a good thing I had a mirror, yes, said the captain, hopefully. I expect his lordship won't mind about the mirror, because it turned out to be useful. I don't think he thinks like that, said Brother, still counting. No, I don't think he does either, said the captain gloomily. Seven, and then four. It'll be the quisition for me, said the captain. Brother was about to say, then rejoice that your soul shall be purified. But he didn't, and he didn't know why he didn't. I'm sorry about that, he said. A veneer of surprise overlaid the captain's grief. You people usually say something about how the quisition is good for the soul, he said. I'm sure it is, said Brother. The captain was watching his face intently. It's flat, you know, he said quietly. I've sailed out into the rim ocean. It's flat, and I've seen the edge, and it moves. Not the edge, I mean. What's down there? They can cut my head off, but it will still move. But it will stop moving for you, said Brother, so I should be careful to whom you speak, Captain. The Captain leaned closer. The turtle moves, he hissed and darted away. Brother! Guilt jerked Brother upright like a hooked fish. He turned around and sagged with relief. It wasn't Vorbis, it was only God. He padded over to the place in front of the mast. Om glared up at him. Yes, said Brother. You never come and see me, said the tortoise. I know you're busy, it added sarcastically, but a quick prayer would be nice, even. I checked you first thing this morning, said Brother, and I'm hungry. You had a whole melon rind last night. And who had the melon, eh? No, he didn't, said Brother. He eats stale bread and water. Why doesn't he eat fresh bread? He waits for it to get stale. Yes, I expect he does, said the tortoise. Om? What? The captain just said something odd. He said the world is flat and has an edge. Yes, so what? But, I mean, we know the world is a ball because... The tortoise blinked. No, it's not, he said. Who said it's a ball? You did, said Brother. Then he added, according to Book One of the Septitude, anyway. I've never thought like this before, he thought. I'd never have said anyway. Why'd the captain tell me something like that, he said. It's not normal conversation. I told you, I never made the world, said Om. Why should I make the world? It was here already. And if I did make a world... I wouldn't make it a ball. People had fall off. All the seed ran off the bottom. Not if you told it to stay on. Heh! <laughs> Will you hark at the man? Besides, the sphere is a perfect shape, said Brother, because in the book of... Nothing amazing about a sphere, said the tortoise. Come to that, a turtle is a perfect shape. A perfect shape for what? Well... The perfect shape for a turtle, to start with, said Om. If it was shaped like a ball, it'd be bobbing to the surface the whole time. But 
It's a heresy to say the world is flat, said Brother. Maybe, but it's true. And it's really on the back of a giant turtle? That's right. Oh, in that case, said Brother triumphantly, what does the turtle stand on? The tortoise gave him a blank stare. It doesn't stand on anything, it said. It's a turtle, for heaven's sake. It swims. That's what turtles are for. I, uh, I think I'd better go and report to Vorbis, said Brother. He goes very calm if he's kept waiting. What did you want me for? I'll try and bring you some more food after supper. How are you feeling? said the tortoise. I'm feeling all right, thank you. Eating properly, that sort of thing? Yes, thank you. Pleased to hear it. Run along now. I mean, I'm only your god. Om raised its voice as Brother hurried off. And you might visit more often. And pray louder. I'm fed up with straining, he shouted. Vorbis was still sitting in his cabin when Brother puffed along the passage and knocked on the door. There was no reply. After a while, Brother pushed the door open. Vorbis did not appear to read. Obviously he wrote because of the famous letters, but no one ever saw him do it. When he was alone, he spent a lot of time staring at the wall or prostrate in prayer. Vorbis could humble himself in prayer in a way that made the posturings of power-mad emperors look subservient. Um, said Brother, and tried to pull the door shut again. Vorbis waved one hand irritably, then he stood up. He did not dust off his robe. Do you know, Brother, he said, I do not think there is a single person in the Citadel who would dare to interrupt me at prayer. They would fear the Quisition. Everyone fears the Quisition, except you, it appears. Do you fear the Quisition? Brother looked into the black-on-black -black eyes. Vorbis looked into a round pink face. There was a special face that people wore when they spoke to an exquisitor. It was flat and expressionless, and glistened slightly, and even a half-trained exquisitor could read the barely concealed guilt like a book. Brother just looked out of breath, but then he always did. It was fascinating. No, Lord, he said. Why not? The Quisition protects us, Lord. It is written in Ossery, chapter 7, verse... Vorbis put his head on one side. Of course it is. But have you ever thought that the Quisition could be wrong? No, Lord, said Brother. But why not? I do not know why, Lord Vorbis, I just never have. Vorbis sat down at a little writing-table, no more than a board that folded down from the hull. And you are right, brother, he said, because the quisition cannot be wrong. Things can only be as the god wishes them. It is impossible to think that the world could run in any other way, is this not so? A vision of a one-eyed tortoise flickered momentarily in brother's mind. Brother had never been any good at lying. The truth itself had always seemed so incomprehensible that complicating things even further had always been beyond him. "'So the Septuagint teaches us,' he said. "'Where there is punishment there is always a crime,' said Vorbis. "'Sometimes the crime follows the punishment which only serves to prove the foresight of the great God.' "'That's what my grandmother used to say,' said Brother, automatically. "'Indeed!' I would like to know more about this formidable lady. 
"'She used to give me a thrashing every morning "'because I would certainly do something to deserve it during the day,' said Brother. "'A most complete understanding of the nature of mankind,' said Vorbis, with his chin on one hand. "'Were it not for the deficiency of her sex, "'it sounds as though she would have made an excellent inquisitor.' Brother nodded. "'Oh, yes, yes, indeed.' "'And now,' said Vorbis, with no change in his tone, "'you will tell me what you saw in the desert.' "'Er, uh, there were six flashes, and then a pause of about five heartbeats, "'and then eight flashes, and another pause, and two flashes.' "'Vorbis nodded thoughtfully. Three quarters,' he said. "'All praise to the great God. "'He is my staff and guide through the hard places. Hmm. "'And you may go.' Brother hadn't expected to be told what the flashes meant and wasn't going to inquire. The Quisition asked the questions. They were known for it. Next day the ship rounded a headland and the Bay of Ephebe lay before it, with the city a white smudge on the horizon, which time and distance turned into a spilling of blindingly white houses all the way up a rock. It seemed of considerable interest to Sergeant Simony. Brother had not exchanged a word with him, Fraternization between clergy and soldiers was not encouraged. There was a certain tendency to unholiness about soldiers. Brother, left to his own devices again as the crew made ready for port, watched the soldier carefully. Most soldiers were a bit slovenly and generally rude to minor clergy. Simony was different. Apart from anything else, he gleamed. His breastplate hurt the eyes. His skin looked scrubbed. The sergeant stood at the prow, staring fixedly as the city drew nearer. It was unusual to see him very far away from Vorbis. Wherever Vorbis stood, there was the sergeant, hand on sword, eyes scanning the surroundings. For what? And always silent, except when spoken to. Brother tried to be friends. "'Looks very white, doesn't it?' he said. "'The uh, city, very white, Sergeant Simony.' The sergeant turned slowly and stared at Brother. Vorbis's gaze was dreadful. Vorbis looked through your head to the sins inside, hardly interested in you except as a vehicle for your sins. But Simony's glance was pure, simple hatred. Brother stepped back. Oh, I'm sorry, he muttered. He walked back somberly to the blunt end and tried to keep out of the soldier's way. Anyway, there were more soldiers soon enough. The Ephebians were expecting them. Soldiers lined the quay, weapons held in a way that stopped just short of being a direct insult, and there were a lot of them. Brother trailed along, the voice of the tortoise insinuating itself into his head. "'So the Ephebians want peace, do they?' said Om. "'Doesn't look like that. Doesn't look like we're going to lay down the law to a defeated enemy. Looks like we took a pasting and don't want to take any more. Looks like we are suing for peace. That's what it looks like to me.' "'In the Citadel, everyone said it was a glorious victory,' said Brother. He found he could talk now with his lips hardly moving at all. Om seemed able to pick up his words as they reached his vocal cords. Ahead of him, Simony shadowed the deacon, staring suspiciously at each Ephebian guard. "'That's a funny thing,' said Om. "'Winners never talk about glorious victories. "'That's because they're the ones who see what the battlefield looks like afterwards. "'It's only the losers who have glorious victories.' Brother didn't know what to reply. "'That doesn't sound like God talk,' he hazarded. "'It's this tortoise brain,' 
What? Don't you know anything? Bodies aren't just handy things for storing your mind in. Your shape affects how you think. It's all this morphology that's all over the place. What? Om sighed. Oh, if I don't concentrate, I think like a tortoise. What? You mean slowly? No. Tortoises are cynics. They always expect the worst. Why? I don't know, because it often happens to them, I suppose. Brother stared round at Ephib. Guards with helmets crested with plumes that looked like horses' tails gone rogue marched on either side of the column. A few Ephibian citizens watched idly from the roadside. They looked surprisingly like the people at home, and not like two-legged demons at all. "'They're people,' he said. "'Full marks for comparative anthropology.' "'Brother Numrod said Ephibians eat human flesh,' said Brother. "'He wouldn't tell lies.' A small boy regarded Brother thoughtfully while excavating a nostril. If it was a demon in human form, it was an extremely good actor. At intervals along the road from the docks were white stone statues. Brother had never seen statues before, apart from the statues of the Septarchs, of course, but that wasn't the same thing. "'What are they?' Well, the tubby one with the toga is Tuvalpit, the god of wine. They call him Smimto in Tussort. And the broad with the hairdo is Astoria, goddess of love, a complete bubblehead. The ugly one is Ofla, the crocodile god, not a local boy. He's Clachian originally, but the Ephebians heard about him and thought he was a good idea. Note the teeth, good teeth, good teeth. Then the one with the snake-pit hairdo is... You talk about them as if they were real, said Brother. They are. There is no other god but you. You told Ossery that. Well, you know, I exaggerated a bit. But they're not that good. There's one of them that sits around playing a flute most of the time and chasing milkmaids. I don't call that very divine. Call that very divine? I don't. The road wound up steeply around the rocky hill. Most of the city seemed to be built on outcrops, or was cut into the actual rock itself, so that one man's patio was another man's roof. The roads were really a series of shallow steps, accessible to a man or a donkey, but sudden death to a cart. Ephib was a pedestrian place. More people watched them in silence. So did the statues of the gods. The Ephebians had gods in the same way that other cities had rats. Brother got a look at Vorbis's face. The Exquisitor was staring straight ahead of himself. Brother wondered what the man was seeing. It was all so new, and devilish, of course, although the gods in the statues didn't look much like demons. But he could hear the voice of Numrod pointing out that this very fact made them even more demonic. Sin crept up on you like a wolf in a sheep's skin. One of the goddesses had been having some very serious trouble with her dress, Brother noticed. If Brother Numrod had been present, he would have had to hurry off for some very serious lying down. Petulia, goddess of negotiable affection, said Om, worshipped by the ladies of the night and every other time as well, if you catch my meaning. Brother's mouth dropped open. They've got a goddess for painted Jezebels? Why not? Very religious people, I understand. They're used to being on their... Uh, well, they spend so much time looking at the... Uh, look, belief is where you find it. Specialisation. That's safe, see? 
low risk, guaranteed returns. There's even a god of lettuce somewhere. I mean, it's not as though anyone else is likely to try to become a god of lettuce. You just find a lettuce-growing community and hang on. Thunder gods come and go, but it's you they turn to every time when there's a bad attack of lettuce fly. You've got to uh, hand it to Petulia. She spotted a gap in the market and filled it. There's a god of lettuce? Why not? If enough people believe, you can be a god of anything. Om stopped himself and waited to see if Brother had noticed, but Brother seemed to have something else on his mind. That's not right. Not treating people like that. How? He'd walked into the back of a subdeacon. The party had halted, partly because the Ephebian escort had stopped too, but mainly because a man was running down the street. He was quite old, and in many respects resembled a frog that had been dried out for quite some time. Something about him generally made people think of the word spry, but at the moment they would be much more likely to think of the words mother naked, and possibly also dripping wet, and would be 100% accurate too. Although there was the beard, it was a beard you could camp out in. The man thudded down the street without any apparent self-consciousness and stopped outside a potter's shop. The potter didn't seem concerned at being addressed by a little wet naked man. In fact, none of the people in the street had given him a second glance. "'I'd like a number nine pot and some string, please,' said the old man. "'Yes, sir, Mr. Legibus.' The potter reached under his counter and pulled out a towel. The naked man took it in an absent-minded way. Brother got the feeling that this had happened to both of them before. "'And a lever of infinite length and a, a, an immovable place to stand,' said Legibus, drying himself off. "'What you see is what I got, sir. Pots and general household items, but a bit short on axiomatic mechanisms.' "'Well, mm, have you got a piece of chalk?' "'Got some right here from last time,' said the potter. The little naked man took the chalk and started to draw triangles on the nearest bit of wall. Then he looked down. "'Why haven't I got any clothes on?' he said. "'We've been having our bath again, haven't we?' said the potter. "'I left my clothes in the bath.' "'I think you probably had an idea while you were in the bath,' prompted the potter. "'Oh, that's right, that's right. Got this splendid idea for moving the world around.' said Legibus. Simple lever principle. Should work perfectly. It's just a matter of getting the technical details sorted out. That's nice. We can move somewhere warm for the winter, said the potter. Can I borrow the towel? It's yours anyway, Mr. Legibus. Is it? I said you left it here last time, remember, when you had that idea for the lighthouse? Fine, fine, said Legibus, wrapping the towel around himself. He drew a few more lines on the wall. Fine. OK. I'll send someone down later to collect the wall. He turned and appeared to see the Omnians for the first time. He peered forward and then shrugged. Hmm, he said, and wandered away. Brother tugged at the cloak of one of the Ephebian soldiers. Excuse me, but why did we stop? he said. Philosophers have right of way, said the soldier. What's a philosopher? said Brother. "'Someone who's bright enough to find a job with no heavy lifting,' said a voice in his head. "'An infidel seeking the just fate he shall surely receive.' 
said Vorbis, an inventor of fallacies. This cursed city attracts them like a dung heap attracts flies. Actually, it's the climate, said the voice of the tortoise. Think about it. If you're inclined to leap out of your bath and run down the street every time you think you've got a bright idea, you don't want to do it somewhere cold. If you do do it somewhere cold, you die out. That's natural selection, that is. Ephebe's known for its philosophers. It's better than street theatre. What, a lot of old men running around the streets with no clothes on? said Brother, under his breath, as they were marched onwards. More or less, if you spend your whole time thinking about the universe, you tend to forget the less important bits of it, like your pants. And ninety-nine out of a hundred ideas they come up with are totally useless. Why doesn't anyone lock them away safely, then? They don't sound much use to me, said Brother. Because the hundredth idea, said Om, is generally a humdinger. A what? Look up at that highest tower on the rock. Brother looked up. At the top of the tower, secured by metal bands, was a big disc that glittered in the morning light. What is it? he whispered. The reason why Omnia hasn't got much of a fleet any more, said Om. That's why it's always worth having a few philosophers around the place. One minute it's all, is truth beauty and is beauty truth? And does a falling tree in the forest make a sound if there's no one there to hear it? And then just when you think they're going to start dribbling, one of them says, incidentally, putting a 30-foot parabolic reflector on a high place to shoot the rays of the sun at an enemy's ships would be a very interesting demonstration of optical principles. He added, always coming up with amazing new ideas, the philosophers. The one before that was some intricate device that demonstrated the principles of leverage by incidentally hurling balls of burning sulphur two miles. Then before that, I think there was some kind of an underwater thing that shot sharpened logs into the bottom of ships. Brother stared at the disc again. He hadn't understood more than one-third of the words in the last statement. Well, he said, does it? Does what? Make a sound, if it falls when no one's there to hear it. Who cares? The party had reached a gateway in the wall that ran around the top of the rock in much the same way that a headband encircles a head. The Ephebian captain stopped and turned. The visitors must be blindfolded, he said. That is outrageous, said Vorbis. We are here on a mission of diplomacy. That is not my business, said the captain. My business is to say, if you go through this gate, you go blindfolded. You don't have to be blindfolded, you can stay outside, but if you want to go through, you've got to wear a blindfold. This is one of them life choices. One of the subdeacons whispered in Vorbis's ear. He held a brief sotto voce conversation with the leader of the Omnian Guard. Very well, he said, under protest. The blindfold was quite soft and totally opaque, but as Brother was led ten paces along a passage and then left five paces, then diagonally forward and left three and a half paces, and right one hundred and three paces down three steps, and turned around seventeen and one quarter times, 
and forward nine paces, and left one pace, and forward nineteen paces, and pause three seconds, and right two paces, and back two paces, and left two paces, and turn three and a half times, and wait one second, and up three steps, and right twenty paces, and turned around five and a quarter times, and left fifteen paces, and forward seven paces, and right eighteen paces, and up seven steps, and diagonally forward, and pause two seconds, right four paces, and down a slope that went down a metre every ten paces for thirty paces, and then turned around seven and a half times, and forward six paces, he wondered what good it was supposed to do. The blindfold was removed in an open courtyard, made of some white stone that turned the sunlight into a glare. Brother blinked. Bowmen lined the yard. Their arrows were pointing downwards, but their manner suggested that pointing horizontally could happen any minute. Another bald man was waiting for them. Ephib seemed to have an unlimited supply of skinny bald men wearing sheets. This one smiled with his mouth alone. No one likes us much, Brother thought. I trust you will excuse this minor inconvenience, said the skinny man. My name is Aristocrates. I am secretary to the tyrant. Please ask your men to put down their weapons. Vorbis drew himself up to his full height. He was a head taller than the Ephebian. Pale though his complexion normally was, it had gone paler. "'We are entitled to retain our arms,' he said. "'We are an emissary to a foreign land.' "'But not a barbarian one,' said Aristocrates mildly. "'Weapons will not be required here.' "'Barbarian?' said Vorbis. "'You burned our ships!' Aristocrates held up a hand. "'This is a discussion for later,' he said. "'My pleasant task now is to show you to your quarters. "'I am sure you would like to rest a little after your journey. "'You are, of course, at liberty to wander anywhere you wish in the palace, "'and if there is anywhere we do not wish you to wander, "'the guards will be sure to inform you with speed and tact.' "'And we can leave the palace?' said Vorbis coldly. "'Aristocrates shrugged. "'We do not guard the gateway except in times of war,' he said. "'If you can remember the way, you are free to use it. "'But vague perambulations in the labyrinth are unwise, I must warn you. "'Our ancestors were sadly very suspicious, "'and put in many traps out of distrust. "'We keep them well greased and primed, "'of course, merely out of respect for tradition. "'And now, if you would care to follow me—' The Omnians kept together as they followed Aristocrates through the palace. There were fountains, there were gardens. Here and there groups of people sat around doing nothing very much except talking. The Ephebians seemed to have only a shaky grasp of the concepts of inside and outside, except for the palace's encircling labyrinth, which was very clear on the subject. "'Danger attends us at every turn,' said Vorbis quietly. "'Any man who breaks ranks or fraternises in any way "'will explain his conduct to the Inquisitors. "'At length.' "'Brother looked at a woman filling a jug from a well. "'It did not look like a very military act. "'He was feeling that strange double feeling again. "'On the surface there were the thoughts of Brother, "'which were exactly the thoughts that the Citadel would have approved of.' This was a nest of infidels and unbelievers, its very mundanity a subtle cloak for the traps of wrong thinking and heresy. It might be bright with sunlight, but in reality it was a place of shadows. But down below were the thoughts of the brother that watched brother from the inside. 
Vorbis looked wrong here, sharp and unpleasant, and any city where potters didn't worry at all when naked, dripping, wet old men came and drew triangles on their walls was a place Brother wanted to find out more about. He felt like a big empty jug. The thing to do with something empty was to fill it up. "'Are you doing something to me?' he whispered. In his box, Om looked at the shape of Brother's mind, and he tried to think quickly. "'No,' he said, and at least that was the truth. "'Had this ever happened before?' Had it been like this, back in the first days? It must have been. It was all so hazy now. He couldn't remember the thoughts he'd had then, just the shape of the thoughts. Everything had been highly coloured. Everything had been growing every day. He had been growing every day. Thoughts and the mind that was thinking them were developing at the same speed. Easy to forget things from those times. It was like a fire trying to remember the shape of its flames. But the feeling... He could remember that... He wasn't doing anything to Brother. Brother was doing it to himself. Brother was beginning to think in godly ways. Brother was starting to become a prophet. Om wished he had someone to talk to, someone who understood. This was Ephib, wasn't it? Where people made a living trying to understand. The Omnians were to be housed in little rooms around a central courtyard. There was a fountain in the middle, in a very small grove of sweet-smelling pine trees. The soldiers nudged one another. People think that professional soldiers think a lot about fighting, but serious professional soldiers think a lot more about food and a warm place to sleep, because these are two things that are generally hard to get, whereas fighting tends to turn up all the time. There was a bowl of fruit in Brother's cell and a plate of cold meat. But first things first, he fished the god out of the box. There's fruit, he said. What are these berries? "'Grapes,' said Om. "'Raw material for wine.' "'You mentioned that word before. What does it mean?' There was a cry from outside. "'Brother!' "'That's Vorbis. I'll have to go.' Vorbis was standing in the middle of his cell. "'Have you eaten anything?' he demanded. "'No, Lord.' "'Fruit and meat, brother, and this is a fast day. They seek to insult us.' "'Um,' "'Perhaps they don't know that it is a fast day,' Brother hazarded. "'Ignorance itself is a sin,' said Vorbis. "'Ossery seven verse four, said Brother automatically. Vorbis smiled and patted Brother's shoulder. "'You are a walking book, Brother, the Septatuch Perambulatus.' Brother looked down at his sandals. "'He's right,' he thought, and I had forgotten, or at least not wanted to remember.' And then he heard his own thoughts echoed back to him. It's fruit and meat and bread, that's all, that's all it is. Fast days and feast days and prophet's days and bread days. Who cares? A god whose only concern about food now is that it's low enough to reach. I wish he wouldn't keep patting my shoulder. Vorbis turned away. Shall I remind the others? Brother said. No, our ordained brothers will not, of course, require reminding. As for soldiers, mm, a little license, perhaps, is allowable this far from home? Brother wandered back to his cell. Om was still on the table, staring fixedly at the melon. I nearly committed a terrible sin, said Brother. I nearly ate fruit on a fruitless day. That's a terrible thing, a terrible thing, said Om. Now cut the melon. "'But it is forbidden,' said Brother. "'No, it's not,' said Om. "'Cut the melon.' 
"'But it was the eating of fruit that caused passion to invade the world,' said Brother. "'All it caused was flatulence,' said Om. "'Cut the melon. "'You're tempting me. "'No, I'm not. "'I'm giving you permission. "'Special dispensation. "'Cut the damn melon. "'Only a bishop or higher is allowed to give,' Brother began, and then he stopped. "'Om glared at him. "'Yes, exactly,' he said, "'and now cut the melon.' His tone softened a bit. "'If it makes you feel any better, I shall declare that it is bread. I happen to be the god in this immediate vicinity. I can call it what I damn well like. It's bread, right? Now cut the damn melon.' "'Loaf,' corrected Brother. "'Right, and give me a slice without any seeds in it.' Brother did so a bit carefully. "'And eat up quick,' said Om. "'In case Vorbis finds us.' "'Because you've got to go and find a philosopher,' said Om. "'The fact that his mouth was full didn't make any difference to his voice in Brother's mind. "'You know, melons grow wild in the wilderness. "'Not big ones like this. Little green jobs. Skin like leather. Can't bite through them. "'The years I've spent eating dead leaves a goat had spit out, "'right next to a crop of melons. "'Melons should have thinner skins. Remember that.' "'Find a philosopher?' Right. Someone who knows how to think. Someone who can help me stop being a tortoise. But Vorbis might want me. You're just going for a stroll. No problem. And hurry up. There's other gods in Ephebe. I don't want to meet them right now. Not looking like this. Brother looked panicky. How do I find a philosopher? He said. Around here. Throw a brick, I should think. The labyrinth of Ephebe is ancient and full of 101 amazing things you can do with hidden springs, razor-sharp knives and falling rocks. There isn't just one guide through it, there are six, and each one knows his way through one-sixth of the labyrinth. Every year they have a special competition when they do a little redesigning. They vie with one another to see who can make his section even more deadly than the others to the casual wanderer. There's a panel of judges and a small prize. The furthest anyone ever got through the labyrinth without a guide was nineteen paces. Well, more or less. His head rolled a further seven paces, but that probably doesn't count. At each changeover point, there is a small chamber without any traps at all. What it does contain is a small bronze bell. These are the little waiting rooms where visitors are handed on to the next guide. And here and there, set high in the tunnel roof over the more ingenious traps, are observation windows, because guards like a good laugh as much as anybody else. All of this was totally lost on Brother, who padded amiably along the tunnels and corridors without really thinking much about it, and at last pushed open to the gate into the late evening air. It was fragrant with the scent of flowers. Moths whirred through the gloom. "'What do philosophers look like?' said Brother. "'When they're not having a bath, I mean.' "'They do a lot of thinking,' said Om. "'Look for someone with a strained expression.' "'Well, that might just mean constipation.' "'Well, so long as they're philosophical about it.' "'The city of Ephebe surrounded them. "'Dogs barked. "'Somewhere a cat yowled. "'There was that general susurration of small comfortable sounds "'that shows that out there a lot of people are living their lives.' and then a door burst open down the street and there was the cracking noise of a quite large wine amphora being broken over someone's head. A skinny old man in a toga picked himself up from the cobbles where he had landed and glared at the doorway. 
I, 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 I'm telling you. Listen, uh, a finite intellect, right, cannot by means of comparison reach the absolute truth of things because by being, by nature, indivisible truth excludes the concept of more or less so that nothing but truth itself can be the exact measure of truth. You bastards, he said. Someone from inside the building said, Oh, yeah, says you. The old man ignored Brother, but with great difficulty pulled a cobblestone loose and hefted it in his hand. Then he dived back through the doorway. There was a distant scream of rage. Ah, philosophy, said Om. Brother peered cautiously round the door. Inside the room, two groups of very nearly identical men in togas were trying to hold back two of their colleagues. It is a scene repeated a million times a day in bars around the multiverse. Both would-be fighters growled and grimaced at one another and fought to escape the restraint of their friends, only, of course, they did not fight too hard because there is nothing worse than actually succeeding in breaking free and suddenly finding yourself all alone in the middle of the ring with a madman who is about to hit you between the eyes with a rock. Yep, said Om, that's philosophy right enough. But they're fighting. A full and free exchange of opinions, yes. Now that Brother could get a clearer view, he could see that there were one or two differences between the men. One had a shorter beard and was very red in the face and was waggling a finger accusingly. He bloody well accused me of slander, he was shouting. I didn't, shouted the other man. You did, you did. Tell him what you said. Look, I, I merely suggested to indicate the nature of paradox, right, that if Zeno the Ephebian said, all Ephebians are liars... See, see, he did it again. No, 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 listen. Then, since Zeno himself is an Ephebian, this would mean that he himself is a liar, and therefore... Zeno made a determined effort to break free, dragging four desperate fellow philosophers across the floor. I am going to lay one right on you, pal. Brother said, e Excuse me, please. The philosophers froze. Then they turned to look at Brother. They relaxed by degrees. There was a chorus of embarrassed coughs. "'Are you all philosophers?' said Brother. The one called Zeno stepped forward, adjusting the hang of his toga. "'That's right,' he said. We're, we're, "'We're philosophers. We think. Therefore, we am.' "'Ah,' said the luckless paradox manufacturer automatically. Zeno spun round. "'I've just about had it up to here with you, Ibid,' he roared. He turned back to Brother. "'We are. Therefore, we am.' he said confidently. That's it. Several of the philosophers looked at one another with interest. Yeah, that, 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 that's actually quite interesting, one said. The evidence of our existence is the fact of our existence. Is that what you're saying? Shut up, said Zeno, without looking round. Have you been fighting? said Brother. The assembled philosophers assumed various expressions of shock and horror. Fighting? Us? <laughs> We're philosophers said Ibid, shocked. "'My word, yes,' said Zeno. "'But you were, um,' Brother began. Zeno waved a hand. "'The cut and thrust of debate,' he said. "'Thesis plus antithesis equals hysteresis,' said Ibid. "'The stringent testing of the universe, the hammer of the intellect, upon the anvil of fundamental truth.' "'Shut up,' said Zeno. "'And uh, what can we do for you, young man?' "'Ask them about gods,' Om prompted. "'Er, uh, I want to find out about gods,' said Brother. "'The philosophers looked at one another. "'Gods,' said Zeno. 
No, we do, we don't bother with gods. <laughs> Relics of an outmoded belief system, gods. There was a rumble of thunder from the clear evening sky. Except for blind Eo of the thunder god, Zeno went on, his tone hardly changing. Lightning flashed across the sky. Uh, and, and, and Cubal the fire god, said Zeno. A gust of wind rattled the windows. Uh, Flatulus, the god of winds, uh, he's all right too, said Zeno. An arrow materialised out of the air and hit the table by Zeno's hand. Uh, Fedex, the messenger of the gods, one of the all-time greats, said Zeno. A bird appeared in the doorway. At least it looked vaguely like a bird. It was about a foot high, black and white, with a bent beak and an expression that suggested that whatever it was it really dreaded ever happening to it had already happened. "'What's that?' said Brother. "'A penguin,' said the voice of Orm inside his head. Uh, "'Patina, the goddess of wisdom? Oh, one of the best,' said Zeno. The penguin croaked at him and waddled off into the darkness. The philosophers looked very embarrassed. Then Ibid said, "'Forgul, the god of avalanches? Well, where's the snow line?' Two hundred miles away,' said someone. They waited. Nothing happened. "'Relic of an outmoded belief system,' said Zeno. A wall of freezing white death did not appear anywhere in a Phoebe. "'Mere unthinking personification of a natural force,' said one of the philosophers in a louder voice. They all seemed to feel a lot better about this. "'Primitive nature worship!' "'Wouldn't give you tuppence for him. Simple rationalization of the unknown.' Huh. "'A clever fiction, a bogey to frighten the weak and stupid.' "'The words rose up in brother. He couldn't stop himself. "'Is it always this cold?' he said. "'They seem very chilly on my way here.' "'The philosophers all moved away from Zeno. "'Although if, they, if there's one thing you can say about a Forgull, said Zeno, "'it's that he's a very understanding god, "'likes a joke as much as the next uh, uh, man.' "'He looked both ways quickly.' After a while, the philosophers relaxed and seemed to completely forget about Brother. And only now did he really have time to take in the room. He'd never seen a tavern before in his life, but that was what it was. The bar ran along one side of the room. Behind it were the typical trappings of an Ephebian bar, the stacks of wine jars, racks of amphora, and the cheery pictures of vestal virgins on cards of salted peanuts and goat jerky, pinned up in the hope that there really were people in the world who would slatheringly buy more and more packets of nuts they didn't want in order to look at a cardboard nipple. "'What's all this stuff?' Brother whispered. "'How should I know?' said Om. "'Let me out so as I can see.' Brother unfastened the box and lifted the tortoise out. One roomy eye looked around. "'Oh, typical tavern,' said Om. "'Good. Mine's a saucer of whatever they were drinking.' "'A tavern? A place where alcohol is drunk? "'I very much intend this to be the case, yes. "'But, but, the Septatuke no less than seventeen times adjures us most emphatically to refrain from—' "'Beats the hell out of me, why?' said Om. "'See that man cleaning the mugs?' You say unto him, Give me a put it mocks the mind of man, says the prophet Ossery, and I'll say this one more time. I never said it. Now, talk to the man. In fact, the man talked to Brother. He appeared magically on the other side of the bar, still wiping a mug. Evening, sir, 
he said. "'What'll it be?' "'I'd like a drink of water, please,' said Brother, very deliberately. "'Is something for the tortoise?' "'Wine,' said the voice of Om. "'I don't know,' said Brother. "'What do tortoises usually drink?' "'The ones we have in here normally have a drop of milk with some bread in it,' said the barman. "'You get a lot of tortoises,' said Brother, loudly, trying to drown out Om's outraged screams. "'Oh, very useful philosophical animal, your average tortoise, outrunning metaphorical arrows, beating hares in races, very handy.' "'Er, uh, I haven't got any money,' said Brother. The barman leaned towards him. "'I tell you what,' he said, "'Declivities has just brought around. He won't mind.' "'Bread and milk?' "'Oh, thank you. Thank you very much.' "'Oh, we get all sorts in here,' said the barman, leaning back. "'Stoics, cynics, big drinkers, the cynics, "'epicureans, stochastics, anamaxandrites, epistemologists, "'peripatetics, synoptics, all sorts. "'That's what I always say. "'What I always say is,' he picked up another mug and started to dry it, "'it takes all sorts to make a world.' "'Bread and milk?' shouted Om. You'll feel my wrath for this, right? Now, ask him about gods. Tell me, said Brother, sipping his mug of water, do any of them know much about gods? Yeah, you'd want a priest for that sort of thing, said the barman. No, I mean about what gods are, how gods came to exist, that sort of thing, said Brother, trying to get to grips with the barman's peculiar mode of conversation. Gods don't like that sort of thing said the barman. We get that in here some nights when someone's had a few. Cosmic speculation about whether gods really exist. Next thing there's a bolt of lightning through the roof with a note wrapped round it saying, yes, we do, and a pair of sandals with smoke coming out, that sort of thing. It takes all the interest out of metaphysical speculation. Not even fresh bread, muttered Om, nose deep in his saucer. No, I know gods exist all right, said Brother hurriedly. I just want to find out more about them. The barman shrugged. Then I'd be obliged if you don't stand next to anything valuable, he said. Still, it'll all be the same in a hundred years. He picked up another mug and started to polish it. Are you a philosopher? said Brother. It kind of rubs off on you after a while, said the barman. This milk's off, said Om. They say if Phoebe is a democracy, this milk ought to be allowed to vote. "'I don't think,' said Brother carefully, "'that I'm going to find what I want here. "'Um, um, Mr. Drinkseller?' "'Yes. "'What was that bird that walked in when the goddess,' uh, "'he tasted the unfamiliar word, of uh, wisdom, was mentioned?' "'Oh, bit of a problem there,' said the barman. "'Bit of an embarrassment.' "'Sorry?' "'It was,' said the barman, "'a penguin.' "'Is it a wise sort of bird, then?' "'No, not a lot,' said the barman. "'Not known for its wisdom. Second most confused bird in the world. "'Can only fly underwater, they say.' "'Then why did... "'We don't like to talk about it,' said the barman. "'It upsets people. Bloody sculptor,' he added under his breath. "'Down the other end of the bar the philosophers had started fighting again. "'The barman leaned forward.' If you haven't got any money, he said, I don't think you're going to get much help. 
talk isn't cheap around here. But they just... Brother began, There's the expenditure on soap and water for a start. Towels, flannels, loofers, pumice stones, bath salts. It all adds up. There was a gurgling noise from the saucer. Om's milky head turned to Brother. You've got no money at all, he said. No, said Brother. Well, we've got to have a philosopher, said the tortoise flatly. I can't think, and you don't know how to. We've got to find someone who does it all the time. Of course, you could try old Didactylos, said the barman. He's about as cheap as they come. Doesn't use expensive soap, said Brother. I think it could be said without fear of contradiction, said the barman solemnly, that he doesn't use any soap at all, whatsoever, in any way. Oh, well, thank you, said Brother. "'Ask him where this man lives,' Om commanded. "'Where can I find Mr. Didactylos?' said Brother. "'In the palace courtyard next to the library. "'You can't miss him. Just follow your nose.' "'We just came,' Brother said, "'but his inner voice prompted him not to complete the sentence. "'We'll just be going, then.' "'Don't forget your tortoise,' said the barman. "'There's good eating on one of them.' "'May all your wine turn to water!' Om shrieked. "'Will it?' said Brother, as they stepped out into the night. "'No!' "'Tell me again, why exactly are we looking for a philosopher?' said Brother. "'I want to get my power back,' said Om. "'But everyone believes in you.' "'If they believed in me, they could talk to me. "'I could talk to them. "'I don't know what's gone wrong.' No one is worshipping any other gods in Omnia, are they? They wouldn't be allowed to, said Brother. The Quisition would see to that. Yeah, it's hard to kneel if you have no knees. Brother stopped in the empty street. I don't understand you. You're not supposed to. The ways of gods aren't supposed to be understandable to men. The Quisition keeps us on the path of truth. The Quisition works for the greater glory of the Church. And you believe that, do you? said the tortoise. Brother looked and found that certainty had gone missing. He opened and shut his mouth, but there were no words to be said. Come on, said Om, as kindly as he could manage. Let's get back. In the middle of the night, Om awoke. There were noises from Brother's bed. Brother was praying again. Om listened curiously. He could remember prayers. There had been a lot of them once. So many that he couldn't make out an individual prayer, even if he had felt inclined to. But that didn't matter, because what mattered was the huge, cosmic susuration of thousands of praying, believing minds. The words weren't worth listening to, anyway. Humans. They lived in a world where the grass continued to be green and the sun rose every day and flowers regularly turned into fruit. And what impressed them? Weeping statues, and wine made out of water, a mere quantum mechanistic tunnel effect that had happened anyway, if you were prepared to wait zillions of years, as if the turning of sunlight into wine by means of vines and grapes and thyme and enzymes wasn't a thousand times more impressive, and happened all the time. Well, he couldn't even do the most basic of god tricks now, Thunderbolts with about the same effect as the spark off a cat's fur, and you could hardly smite anyone with one of those. He had smitten good and hard in his time. Now he could just about walk through water and feed the one. 
Brother's Prayer was a piccolo tune in a world of silence. Om waited until the novice was quiet again, and then unfolded his legs and walked out, rocking from side to side into the dawn. The Ephebians walked through the palace courtyards, surrounding the Omnians almost, but not quite, in the manner of a prisoner's escort. Brother could see that Vorbis was boiling with fury. A small vein on the side of the Exquisitor's bald temple was throbbing. As if feeling Brother's eyes on him, Vorbis turned his head. "'You seem ill at ease this morning, Brother,' he said. "'Sorry, Lord.' "'You seem to be looking into every corner. What are you expecting to find?' "'Er, uh, just interested, Lord. Everything's new.' All the so-called wisdom of Ephebe is not worth one line from the least paragraph in the Septuagint," said Vorbis. May we not study the works of the infidel in order to be more alert to the ways of heresy, said Brother, surprised at himself. Ah! A persuasive argument, Brother, and one that the Inquisitors have heard many times, if a little indistinctly in many cases. Vorbis glowered at the back of the head of Aristocrates, who was leading the party. "'It is but a small step from listening to heresy to questioning established truth, brother. Heresy is often fascinating. Therein lies its danger.' "'Yes, Lord.' <laughs> "'And not only do they carve forbidden statues, but they can't even do it properly.' Brother was no expert, but even he had to agree that this was true. Now the novelty of them had worn off, the statues that decorated every niche in the palace did have a certain badly made look. Brother was pretty sure he'd just passed one with two left arms. Another one had one ear larger than the other. It wasn't that someone had set out to carve ugly gods. They had clearly been meant to be quite attractive statues, but the sculptor hadn't been much good at it. "'That woman there appears to be holding a penguin,' said Vorbis. "'Patina, goddess of wisdom,' said Brother, automatically, and then realised he'd said it. "'I, um, uh, I, I heard someone mention it,' he added. "'Indeed. And what remarkably good hearing you must have,' said Vorbis. Aristocrates paused outside an impressive doorway and nodded at the party. "'Gentlemen,' he said, "'the tyrant will see you now.' "'You will recall everything that is said,' whispered Vorbis. Brother nodded. The doors swung open. All over the world there were rulers with titles like The Exalted, The Supreme, and Lord High something or other. Only in one small country was the ruler elected by the people, who could remove him whenever they wanted, and they called him the tyrant. The Ephebians believed that every man should have the vote.' provided that he wasn't poor, foreign, nor disqualified by reason of being mad, frivolous, or a woman. Every five years someone was elected to be tyrant, provided he could prove that he was honest, intelligent, sensible, and trustworthy. Immediately after he was elected, of course, it was obvious to everyone that he was a criminal madman, and totally out of touch with the view of the ordinary philosopher in the street looking for a towel. And then five years later they elected another one just like him, and really it was amazing how intelligent people kept on making the same mistakes. Candidates for the tyrantship were elected by the placing of black or white balls in various urns, thus giving rise to a well-known comment about politics. The tyrant was a fat little man with skinny legs, giving people the impression of an egg that was hatching upside down. 
He was sitting alone in the middle of the marble floor, in a chair surrounded by scrolls and scraps of paper. His feet didn't touch the marble, and his face was pink. Aristocrates whispered something in his ear. The tyrant looked up from his paperwork. Ah, uh, the Omnian delegation, he said, and a smile flashed across his face like something small darting across a stone. Do be seated, all of you. He looked down again. I am Deacon Vorbis of the Citadel Quisition, said Vorbis coldly. The tyrant looked up and gave him another lizard smile. Yes, I know, he said. You torture people for a living. Please be seated, Deacon Vorbis, and your plump young friend who seems to be looking for something. And the rest of you, uh, some young women will be along in a moment with uh, grapes and things. Uh, this generally happens. It's very hard to stop it, in fact. There were benches in front of the tyrant's chair. The Omnians sat down. Vorbis remained standing. The tyrant nodded. As you wish, he said. This is intolerable, snapped Vorbis. We have been treated much better than you would have treated us, said the tyrant, mildly. You sit or you stand, my lord, because this is a phoebe, and indeed you may stand on your head for all I care, but don't expect me to believe that if it was I seeking peace in your citadel, I would be encouraged to do anything but grovel on what was left of my stomach. Be seated or upstanding, my lord, but be quiet. I have nearly finished. Finished what? said Vorbis. "'The peace treaty,' said the tyrant. "'But that is what we are here to discuss,' said Vorbis. "'No,' said the tyrant. The lizard scuttled again. "'That is what you are here to sign.' Om took a deep breath and then pushed himself forward. It was quite a steep flight of steps. He felt every one as he bumped down, but at least he was upright at the bottom.' He was lost, but being lost in Ephebe was preferable to being lost in the Citadel. At least there were no obvious cellars. Library, library, library. There was a library in the Citadel, Brother had said. He'd described it, so Arm had some idea of what he was looking for. There would be a book in it. Peace negotiations were not going well. You attacked us, said Vorbis. "'I would call it a pre-emptive defence,' said the tyrant. "'We saw what happened to Istanzia and Betrek and Ushistan. "'They saw the truth of Om.' "'Yes,' said the tyrant. "'We believe they did, mm, eventually. "'And they are now proud members of the Empire.' Yes, said the tyrant, we believe they are, but we like to remember them as they were before you sent them your letters that put the minds of men in chains. That set the feet of men on the right road, said Vorbis. Chain letters, said the tyrant, the chain letter to the Ephebians. Forget your gods, be subjugated, learn to fear, do not break the chain. The last people who did woke up one morning to find 50,000 armed men on their lawn. Vorbis sat back. What is it you fear, he said, here in your desert with your, with your 
gods. Is it not that deep in your souls you know that your gods are as shifting as your sand? Oh, yes, said the tyrant, we know that. That's always been a point in their favour. We know about sand, and your god is a rock. And we know about rock. Om stumped along a cobbled alley, keeping to the shade as much as possible. There seemed to be a lot of courtyards. He paused at the point where the alley opened into yet another of them. There were voices. Mainly there was one voice, petulant and reedy. This was the philosopher Didactylos. Although one of the most quoted and popular philosophers of all time, Didactylos the Ephebian never achieved the respect of his fellow philosophers. They felt he wasn't philosopher material. He didn't bath often enough, or to put it another way, at all. And he philosophised about the wrong sort of things. And he was interested in the wrong sorts of things. Dangerous things. Other philosophers asked questions like, Is truth beauty? And is beauty truth? And is reality created by the observer? But Didactylos posed the famous philosophical conundrum, Yes, but what's it really all about, then, when you get right down to it? I mean, really. His philosophy was a mixture of three famous schools, the Cynics, the Stoics, and the Epicureans, and summed up all three of them in his famous phrase, You can't trust any bugger further than you can throw him, and there's nothing you can do about it, so let's have a drink. Mine's a double if you're buying thank you, and a packet of nuts. Her left bosom is nearly uncovered, eh? <laughs> Two more packets, then. Many people have quoted from his famous meditations. It's a rum old world, all right, but you've got to laugh, haven't you? Nil eligitimo carborundum is what I say. The experts don't know everything. Still, where would we be if we were all the same? Om crawled closer to the voice, bringing himself around the corner of the wall so that he could see into a small courtyard. There was a very large barrel against the far wall, various debris around it, broken wine amphora, gnawed bones and a couple of lean-to shacks made out of rough boards, suggested it was someone's home, and this impression was given some weight by the sign chalked on a board and stuck on the wall over the barrel. It read, Didactylos and Nephew. Practical philosophers, no proposition too large, we can do your thinking for you. Special rates after 6pm, Fresh axioms every day. End of CD four.